Hello and welcome to Redirected, a podcast where we sit down with celebrities, entrepreneurs, and elite-level athletes to hear how they handle life's unexpected events. Each of our guests have reached an incredible amount of success by responding to life's moments of adversity and uncertainty extremely well. I'm your host, Andrew East, engineer turned professional athlete turned entrepreneur, and I'm super excited to bring these stories to you to help inspire you to reach your dreams and to help you learn how to respond instead of react. Today, we sit down with world champion swimmer Michael Andrew and discuss what it looks like to step away from the ordinary and blaze your own trail. Michael is partially known for his unorthodox training method, which he has to defend regularly. If you are interested in connecting with Michael on social media, you can find him at, at @swimmermichael on Twitter and Instagram, and also in the show notes down below. Also, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where he takes you around the world and behind the scenes of his success. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Michael Andrews. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We, we were just talking, uh, Michael and I have interacted a lot, mostly via social media, um, but we've never actually had an in-person phone call, so this is, this is fun to finally do it. It's good to finally put your face across the screen, at least see you live. <laughs> so <laughs> just watch your Insta stories. I know, I know, dude. I went on a huge rant after you sent me that amazing box of swim gear. I, uh, I had to call you. Dude, my, my, every time I mention your name, he just bursts out laughing because of your last one about the muscles and the shirtless pics. <laughs> oh my goodness! one of me every single time for that. Dude, I almost called you out on the the most your most recent picture. You were like hanging from a bar or like doing so. It was some weird pose, and I was like, "What? Come on, Mike." Um, but we, you and I first got connected through my older brother, Guy, who uh, you went down for a build in Tijuana, didn't you? Yeah, so um, I obviously met you through your brother, Guy, and we've been friends with Guy for a while. Um, we did our first home build, gee, it's been four years ago, three years ago, um, really? and we've gone two years now. We've gone twice to go down to Tijuana and obviously work with Hope Sports and do something like that. It changes your perspective a ton. Um and obviously, I don't know if you know anything about my family stuff, but we're obviously very, um, we believe that God's given us a gift and obviously sport is a platform for us. And to see Guy do what he does with Hope Sports and be able to be a part of that was uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. How'd you first get connected with, with his organization? Um, so we actually, it's, it's a long story, um, but when I was, so when I first went pro at 14, I um, was invited to a retreat in San Antonio, I believe. Um, to there were a bunch of Christian Olympians, um, and Guy was there, and we ended up getting connected with Guy through a mutual friend, and then Guy invited us to come do the home build, and then I guess the rest is history. So it was a uh, very lady cool, <laughs> cool meet. For those of you who don't know what my older brother does, uh, he has an organization called Hope Sports, and he brings elite level athletes like Michael here down and uh, puts them through kind of like a sports psychology weekend uh, but you also build a house for impoverished families and uh it's it's a really really cool organization that sean and i have both worked with um but uh yeah i i was i was impressed in doing my research for the show that you do have a reputation for integrating your faith into what you do on a very consistent basis uh, what's the inspiration behind that and how do you do that actively and intentionally there's a, kind of a lot of angles we could take. Um, for me, obviously, growing up, um, I grew up in a very faith-based home. My parents, um, both born and raised like Christians, not mm -hmm. born Christians, but raised in a Christian household. Um, and so it was just customary for us to go to church, be tight as a family. Um, but as I got older and I continued to do sport and compete, um, I met mentors and obviously faith played a massive role in my athletics. Um, and for me, I believe that God's given me an incredible gift. Um, I really, there's no way to explain where else it could come from. Um, and something I also learned from Lady Lodge was tying faith and sport together. It makes a lot of sense in the fact that I don't know how I could cope with the amount of stress and the pressures of the elite world um, being so performance-based without having um, a crazy purpose behind it. And for me, that purpose is knowing God and letting others know God and um, being able to share that with other people. It takes a lot of pressure away from having to be the best in the world because God doesn't care. <laughs> um, right. And it's, it's exciting knowing that, you know, swimming really, it gives me a massive platform, 
Um, I mean, I don't have a, as large a platform as you do, obviously, on Instagram, but 60,000 people that tune into my channel is they're interested in hearing what I have to say because of my swimming. Yeah. And I have the freedom to then go and say, hey, this is where it comes from. And I believe that God plays a massive role in all of our lives. And whether you believe that or not, that's you. But I, um, you know, I encourage it. And I think it's, it's exciting to know that I've got that opportunity. I can't say I've always been an excellent Christian. I don't. I'm not. Don't live a perfect life. I'm definitely a sinner. But with all those shirtless pics, man, you're making a lot of people. You know, dipped in a lot of you. <laughs> I've had so many people come to me with that too. It's like, how can really? You this? Yeah, I've had people comment that. I'm like, it's what I do. It's it's part. So means who I am. Um, just as much as being a Christ follower, and <laughs> I don't wear clothes. <laughs> Do do you feel like most of the time people receive that well and are like receptive to that or do you get a lot of resistance? Just like with hearing my faith? Yeah, yeah. It's it seems like it's an obviously an integral part of of who you are and you bring it everywhere you are pretty vocally. And I've never I've never seen any public backlash. Um I've never seen people hate on me for it. Um yeah. I do know that there's people that think it's weird. They think, "Oh, this Christian kid, it's just a phase and end up turning up like Justin Bieber and doing the same issues and things like that. And, it's, you know, it's, there's the, obviously there's those things, but your hair is looking like it already, anyone, man. Right. Exactly. I haven't really come to <laughs> you're like, so none of that, but um, okay. it is. And I feel like part of it has to do with the fact that a lot of, so most of the swimming community, they know me well. Um, and so they've gotten to know me through the years since I was an age grouper up to now being 19 is like, they know I'm a good kid. They know I, I, I enjoy serving and being part of the sport. And, you know, and I love that culture. And so I feel like they, they're a lot more open to hearing what I have to say without bashing it right away, or at least in front of me. That's great. It, it seems like you carry the, the role and responsibility well. Um, I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about how you got into swimming in the first place. I understand your, your parents are both South African. Is that right? Yeah. So my parents are both born and raised South African. Um, I have dual nationality. So I represent two countries, which is kind of interesting. Nice. Um, my dad grew up swimming. My mom, I don't know if you found this on the internet, but my mom was actually a gladiator in the UK. So she was incredibly famous. She basically beat people up for a living, which she likes to claim. I saw that. I had no idea what that meant. I was like, what is a gladiator in the UK? Have you seen, have you, you've seen American gladiators, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was basically that, but in the UK. UK started it first, and then the really? US followed. Yeah, and so oh, wow. they they when they first got married, they traveled the world for eight years, and in one of their stops, they were in London, and then they saw the tryouts. And at the time, they were just cleaning toilets to like make money, and they went to try out. They weren't good enough to be the or they couldn't become contestants because they weren't they didn't live there. Um, okay. but so one of the other, um, gladiators was injured and they're like, Hey, you want to be a gladiator? And I obviously started something that was, was crazy. She had bodyguards, everything. Wait, you mentioned your parents were cleaning toilets. They were traveling the world just for fun. Just for... They, yeah. So they first got married. So they would find postcards. They'd go from country to country, save up for plane tickets, work odd jobs, find a really cruddy car, travel around, sleep on the beaches. Like the total vagabond life is done like a pretty cool adventure. No way, man. Do you have the travel bug like them? You get, dude, I was following your, your, uh, your world, was it the world cup, um, travel series and. Yeah. So we just, I just got back, uh, maybe a week ago from France. I was racing the Marinostrum. Yeah. So Kenne, Barcelona, Monaco. It was incredible. My first time. Um, but dude, I, I'm the same way. I love traveling. Maybe not as like, um, off the beaten path. I like to, sleep in a nice hotel, have a nice car to yeah. ride. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, luxuries. Um, but no, I love traveling. It's an incredible opportunity. But going back to our um, family lineage is like, so my dad grew up swimming. Um, yeah. Mom was an athlete. Um, and it was actually funny because I started swimming kind of late. I only started swimming when I was about seven. Um, at the time, we were living in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And our neighbor's daughter had swum. So she was a swimmer and... Wait, is that is that the correct adjective? Swam. 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 <laughs> okay, but go ahead. There's a blog called Swim Swam, 
don't know. They'd probably be able to answer it better. Um, (laughs) But she would swim and um, they introduced us to the local club team and we started swimming right away. And um, after a very short season, um, I fell in love with the water. I was naturally good at it. Uh, Started breaking state records and we very quickly ran into politics. And from there, my dad was like, hey, this kid's got a talent. He ended up taking me out of the club we, long story short, bought a condemned nightclub, put a pool in it, started our own team, and my dad coached me ever since I was about eight and a half, nine years old. <laughs> wow. Wait, and what was the first age you started swimming at? I learned to swim when I was seven, and I started competing very young eight. Wow. Seven? Is that late to get in the game? I mean, I feel like it's kind of late. I know a lot of kids are starting at like five or six, but a lot of it's just for safety, like learn to swim. Um, but yeah, I was, I was young ish. (laughs) And you started breaking state records right out the gate. Pretty much. Um, my very first meet, I actually remember it really well. So I was this tiny skinny little, I mean, I'm still skinny, but skinny little eight year old standing on the blocks. It was Brookings, South Dakota. It was pouring down in rain, outdoor meet, just the worst scenario for my first meet. Um, I was swimming the 50 freestyle. I was just bawling the entire meet, just crying, didn't want to be there. And I ended up diving in. And for my very first race, I ended up qualifying for state, which was like unheard of in the time. And wow. so it was pretty exciting. And right from there, I just got faster and faster. And I mean, obviously, it's been an up and down journey, but it was a very, very wow. uh, fun start. <laughs> what, uh, what were the politics that, that ultimately drove you away from the first club? Yeah. Um, so part of it was there were so a very small town, Aberdeen. Um, a lot of people were related. Um, and we, inside the club team, we had wanted certain things. So like I wanted to be able to go up into the faster lanes um, before the coaches said I was able to. And then they wouldn't obviously let us do that. Um, my dad wanted a little more instruction. We wanted some more help. We wanted to advance. And the coach basically told us that she wasn't going to um, put this extra emphasis on Michael just because he's special. And we didn't feel like that was wrong, but we just like, we, we wanted more out of it. And my dad and mom being the crazy parents they are, were like, that's just not enough. And so we're going to, we're going to take this venture on ourselves. And I mean, it's unbelievable. We've been through, we hired private coaches from around the country. We spoke with scientists. We, we did all these crazy things and eventually that's where we found USRBT, which we can speak about later. But, um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my crazy parents. That's for sure. Well, what's crazy is that they sound like they traveled the world for years and then they end up in Kansas. Yeah. So, (laughs) so they started out in Aberdeen, South Dakota. They, uh, they, the reason they came to South Dakota was because, so it was one of their last stops. Um, they were working in greenhouses and stuff in, um, Minnesota, which is where I was born. Um, they went back to South Africa for a year or so, realized it wasn't safe. And then they were like, okay, well, we have a farm here in South Africa. Dad's agricultural. Like they know how that works. Um, and they ended up getting agricultural visas to move to Aberdeen. And that's where my dad started off. And so he worked at like, I think it was Aberdeen wheat growers, um, little farming, whatever thing. And that's what brought us to the States because it was, it was a safe place. They loved obviously the freedoms that came with being a, an American. And um, yeah, it's kind of where our whole journey started, which is pretty interesting. Aberdeen, South Dakota is like the total armpit of the U S just, wow. I recommend to never visit. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, Kansas is kind of a sideways move, but <laughs> yeah, we're, seriously. We're, getting, we're getting, we're getting closer and closer to the coast. I feel like maybe in a year's time we'll be in California. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, good luck with that. I, I wish the best for you. Um, you're, so you're 19 now. 19 now. You were homeschooled most of the time, uh, or the whole time through high school. Well, so I've, I've been homeschooled since fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously you don't know anything outside of homeschooling, but in can, do you, do you feel like, uh, your community of swimmers, do you feel like you have a, co- a solid community in your life to help you, you know, like establish solid friendships and, and that? Yeah, no. And that was one, that was one of my fears and my parents' fears in being homeschooled for so long was the sense of relationship and being able to just communicate with other people, period. 
Yeah. Um, Cause we do have homeschool friends that are very like, like weird with that. And so, I mean, everybody knows the stigma, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. it's rough, but um, <laughs> so freshman year of high school, I did all my online classes and I took one class at the local high school so I could play football. I kicked for Whoa, our local what? team. Yeah, so I was I did kicker. not know this. I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't get hit, so I had to play it very safe. So I was the kicker and I loved it. It was fun. It was very different. Um I got to know the whole like high school crowd and what that's like, which I gotta say isn't very um appealing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm used to waking up in my underpants and going to school for yeah. a couple hours. <laughs> but um no, homeschooling was awesome. Like it gave me the freedom to train whenever I needed to. I could take naps throughout the day. Um, it was hard because I am a master procrastinator and it was very easy to let my ADHD brain put things off um, or yeah. stress over it. And so that was a case, but I ended up finishing high school about a year and a half ago. My sister finished it when she was 15, which is unbelievable wow. like she worked the summers the weekends like everything just non-stop um but yeah being homeschooled gave me the freedom to train race and travel the world which is wow. what i uh love to do wow and you do have a younger sister is that right yeah younger sister just turned seven. she looks exactly like you You did that split side by side facing and <laughs> yeah like, the oh split face gosh. it was a little weird we were was, <laughs> yeah. we did that like three in the morning on a car ride from atlanta it was like so funny we were so out of it <laughs> you were driving from atlanta back to kansas yeah wow i mean that's not even our craziest road trip i mean we we've driven all over the states um it's just it's what we're used to and i think part of it comes from the fact that we believe so much in keeping the family together yeah. and driving has always been the cheapest and it's been the most affordable for us in order to get us everywhere and yeah. take all our bags and stuff and so from a young age, we're just used to road trips. So how does it work? I've, I've obviously played team sports my whole life with football and, you know, basketball and baseball. And whenever we would travel, the team would cover, you know, if we're flying to France, which we never did, but if we were going to, they would cover that. But how does that work at your level? Yeah. So, so up to, so I guess only in the last like two years. So the last two years have been really, I've been really blessed. Um, obviously I've made national team. And so, um, USA Swimming covers a lot of my costs, or if it's a specific meet, the meet will pay for me, and we can usually, it's actually funny, it's how this works, so usually they'll find tickets for us that are probably overpriced, what we'll do is we'll say, hey, we'll take this amount of money, and we'll do what we can to find tickets for four, and usually we find it inside the budget, and we're like, okay, we'll bring the whole family, um, and that's part of the hard thing is as as we get obviously faster and people want to invite us to meets um they don't always want to pay for all four of us and so we have to make that um that decision how do we how to cover this and a lot of it is our sponsors have been incredibly generous so i'm sponsored by adidas that's my or adidas you guys say adidas <laughs> my, that? <laughs> my that's my like major sponsor and other companies that help me out and um but you know before that it was just my parents like my mom had a rocking business where she'd bring foreign workers into the country and she would, she would cover us. And my dad would do lessons and we'd do clinics and we'd do everything we can to supplement that cost. Um, and man, it was, I mean, we got into some major debt, which excitingly we're out of it, but nice. it was uh, it was a long journey. And so nice. it was kind of one of those things where my parents had this crazy belief in me that they were willing to put everything they had into it. And, um, I guess now we're on the upside, which is nice. It'd be bad if we were on the other end. Well, I love that story of all or nothing. Like they, they just wholeheartedly believed and they were just going to chase it no matter what. Um, on that note, I do kind of want to transition into your training, which is heavily uh, – you're, you're coached by your dad. And it seems like back to the finances things, are your parents very open with – do they treat it like you're – a uh, professional and part of the business are they open or do they shield you from that as to not get you distracted in some sense right no um so i think when i was younger there's maybe uh, kind of the same as with the national team is like the last two years um a lot of our team dynamics have shifted and so it used to be where i was still just a kid i didn't really know what i was dealing with i was just swimming yeah. obviously racing and trying to break records and things like that um 
but obviously in the last couple of years, it's been, how do we involve Michael? Like this is important because I am a young adult and I'm kind of going into this manhood thing. And it's like, I have to understand how the finances are coming in, where they're going, what's happening with it, how to invest, things like that. And um, it's been really exciting part of the change because I felt so kind of out of touch from it. And my parents realized that. And obviously they've done a great job in raising me and bringing me into that. But um, now is definitely a time to uh, start taking control of that. And it's cool because I feel like when I was younger, I, I relied so much on them. And I obviously don't want to be leaving the house not really knowing what I'm capable of and what I should be doing with my finances. Um, but it was, there was definitely a, a tough learning curve because like most people think having your dad coach you, keeping the family hundred percent invested. Like my mom's my agent, my sister, she cooks every meal in the house. Like no way. this working team, it's really, there's a lot to navigate. Um, and there can be a bit of hair pulling. Um, but that's where the communication comes in. We've been able to deal with it through mentors and life coaches and things like that. That's great. That that's um one thing I always ask, whether it's uh just like a TV celebrity or a entrepreneur or an athlete is is who is your team? And it sounds like when you when you talk about your team, are you, is it only your family and your sponsors or like right, right now it's yeah that. family and sponsors wow. um and I guess prayer groups whoever's praying for us <laughs> yeah man. Uh, yeah no those that's our really close knit family and that's what I love so much about Adidas is like they treat us like a family like they know how important family is to us. They do everything they can to help us all get around. Like it's, that's the kind of company we want to work with. And um, it's exciting to know that they have my back, but they also have my dad's back, my mom's back and my sister's. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so your dad's your coach, as we mentioned earlier, and he's been your coach ever since age nine, eight and a half. Wow. Can you walk me through that relationship? And, and obviously he was a swimmer back in the day, but, but talk me through how that dynamic works. Yeah, absolutely. So my dad grew up swimming, um, but he grew up swimming very traditionally. Um, so okay. traditionally is like long yardage drills, like these crazy grueling workouts where the goal is basically to destroy your body in the hopes that before a major meet once a year, you can taper and then get stronger. And um, my dad immediately saw a flaw in this. Um, he felt like, why can't you race fast all the time? And we began to investigate it. Um, we went to a scientist out of USA Swimming, um, Jaunty Skinner, who was actually a gold medalist back in the day in the 100, I don't know, maybe the 50. Um, we spoke to him. We spoke to everyone we could. And 2009, we ended up meeting Dr. Brent Russell, at a um, swim coaches convention in Fort Lauderdale, I think it was, he debunked um, training with equipment and doing drills and long distance training and aerobic and all this crazy stuff that is so like, I mean, the dogma behind the traditional program of swimming is so deep. Um, and you could hear a pin drop in this auditorium and everyone was like, this guy is nuts. He's crazy. What is he even thinking? And my dad was like, I have found the Holy Grail. Wow. And so immediately afterwards, he walked up to Dr. Brent Russell, spoke to him, asked for his notes. Russell gave him all of his notes. Ever since then, we've had a relationship with him and have been speaking about how do we make my body go faster through water using science. And everything we do is data-driven. It's incredibly specific. So USRPT, the name was coined in 2011. Um, what it stands for is Ultra Short Race Pace Training. Um, and it's basically, it's exactly that. Um, what we do is we take an event, we break it into, um, obviously smaller segments. So like a fourth. So say I'm training for a hundred freestyle, mm -hmm. that would be four lengths across the pool, 25 meters each segment. So what I do is I hold 30, 25s at a certain pace. Say I'm going a minute. I want to be holding these 25s at 15 seconds. And what happens is when I do these repeats over and over and over repetitively, my body code, like my brain, because of the way our, our body and brain work together, we code these movements. So when I come to race, ideally or hypothetically or theoretically or whatever, I should be able to swim exactly that time because I've done it over and over. So we basically compute, like we train our body like a computer would take in data. Um, and for some people, it makes so much sense um, and they see the data 
and the science behind it. For some people, they think like, that just doesn't make sense. You're doing 25 to swim fast for 100. And um, for those people, it's kind of tough because the only thing they really have to go off of is the results. Um, and the results have been incredible for us. And there's multiple high school teams that are doing it now. There's wow. master's programs. Like the rest of the world is starting to follow this kind of revolution. And to be at the like the forefront of it is uh, pretty pretty intense. And we've obviously taken on a lot of the backlash. But, um, I mean, it's been exciting to see how people's minds have changed towards this view of racing because it's so different. Well, for those of you listening, first of all, he mentioned 15-second, 25 meters. And I I have recently been getting into swimming because I'm training for a triathlon, just a short one. That is – I could maybe do one 15-second, 25, but you're, you're talking 30, zero chance I could do it. But I love this story of your dad who seems like this – I'm, I'm kind of getting a – uh, feel that he's like a pretty eccentric, you know, he does things in an unorthodox way, whether it's traveling the world or, you know, moving to Kansas, whatever. And he embraces this new ideology that is, is solidly founded in, in science. And now you're like, for those of you who don't know anything about swimming, Michael, it's, you're the, you're essentially the face of USRPT from my understanding. And yeah. Of USRPT for sure. I, I would, yeah, it'd be fair to say that. Yeah. And you're not the Brent Rushall is the is the developer, but you're the face and and obviously the, yeah so the poster so yeah USRPT is Brent's baby and then we have helped kind of pioneer it into the swimming world. So for those who aren't familiar with the swimming world, can you walk us through kind of what this what the culture's like? And you mentioned the dogma. It's 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 been interesting when the pool that I go to, you know, I showed up with the with the Andrews cap that you sent me, and a uh, conversation led to me essentially name dropping you. I'll just go ahead and say that. And, uh, you are a legend, but it's there, it's a small culture and it does seem like, you know, there's the old school way of doing things and your way is shattering that. Yeah, no, it's exciting to see the change, but it is like swimming has been around for so long. Um, and it's hard for people to change. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with a lot of the coaches are old. They're from the 60s. They're from the 50s. Like they've been around forever. Um, and it's something that changes as they leave the sport. And they are. We've seen a massive shift. USA Swimming, like there's been new directives, like the new heads of board and everything's changing. Um, and I think that obviously as, obviously, I mean, society changes a whole lot. Like everything, like we're very evolving. Like especially as mm -hmm. the USA is like, I mean, that's what makes us so elite is we're constantly changing and testing and breaking the boundaries. Um, but swimming seems to be so far behind other sports, um, like with running and like even team sports, like things change so quickly. But swimming has kind of been stuck in this long distance traditional program kind of thinking. And um, it just really it kind of what we've done and what we have been doing, it just shows it takes one person to change everyone's mind. Um, or at least to start to make a change. And it's been exciting. I don't know really what else to add, but swimming is uh, one of those sports that people don't seem to fully understand. Um, and I kind of agree with this. Like, I would not want to go to a meet and watch a bunch of people swim up and down a pool. Like, it's really not that exciting. Unless you know, like, who you're cheering for or if it's a 50, because I'm a sprinter. And, yeah. Like, sprinting's fun. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to watch the mile? Um, no offense to the milers out there or anyone who's <laughs> long distance. <laughs> but, um, you know, swimming's, it's kind of, it's, it is sad because it is such a small community. It's every yeah. four years, it's the biggest thing in the Olympics. Like, yeah. Amazing. Everyone loves Behind it. gymnastics, right? What? Behind gymnastics, right? Okay. Yeah, behind gymnastics. Just <laughs> wink, wink for Sean. <laughs> um, but it, it's crazy because, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of, Swimming hasn't really found um, a way as a sport to uh, make it exciting. Um, yeah. So, and that's what we're trying to do. USA Swimming is coming to their athletes. They're like, what makes it exciting? Like, what what do other sports have that we don't? Like, is it alcohol in the stands? Probably not a good idea for swim parents. Is it <laughs> cheerleaders? And I was like, do we want cheerleaders on the deck when all of us are wearing bathing suits anyway? It's like... I don't know. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Michael, no offense to you, but I would rather look at cheerleaders than, than you in a swimsuit. So probably uh, <laughs> but, like, why would they want to look at a bunch of other dudes in their tiny skivvies? It's like, 
Could you talk about the uh, the parents? You, you kind of just touched on it, but like, what what is a typical swim parent at, at your level? Just oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, I think this term's thrown around in all sports, like that helicopter parent. Um, obviously, they very so some some moms are. It's mostly the moms, and I I haven't really experienced it firsthand. I mean, maybe my mom's a swim mom. I just don't know it. But like they're super intense. It's all about performance, and it's like yeah. swimming, 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 swimming. The kids can't get a break. It's and it's probably something that you deal with in every sport. Um, but no, they just they make it interesting for sure. Like it's fun to sometimes watch swim parents as they deal with their kids after a race. It's like you can see so many things that they probably just don't understand that they're doing to their kid. That's putting wow. rocks in their backpack before they swim. You know, wow. it's like you know what you're doing, but, but it's exciting to be able to see that because we learn from it for sure. Yeah. Walk me through. Um, I want to, after we touch on this, I want to transition to to your training. Um, like what it looks like on a day-to-day basis, but what, what's your relationship with your father? I mean, it's gotta be rather complex. Obviously it's a special relationship for, for any man or, or female, your relationship with your father, but the fact that he's your coach, the fact that you, we're homeschooled and he's also your father. There's a lot going on there. Um, have you put a lot of thought into to what that's like? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. Um, obviously, my dad and I have an incredible relationship. Um, yeah. We're very close. And I feel like it wouldn't work if we weren't. Um, obviously, a lot of parents, a lot of families, like and a lot of athletes that watch and see how we work together, like they don't understand how it works because it seems so far-fetched. Um, and that's one thing I feel very blessed is to have such a tight knit family, but that's not to go. That's not to say like, we haven't had our issues. Like, yeah. I mean, there's certain times where we want to rip each other's head off because we just can't seem to understand one another. And um, that's kind of where we've had to step back and take a more, um, that's where faith plays a role, like a more like human approach, not like, okay, he's my coach. I'm the athlete more like yeah. he's my dad i'm his son um yeah. and my dad would share this with you it's um i don't remember exactly what it was but we were i think it was a sermon we listened to or someone we had met um but the topic came on being able to coach like a father loves um and so i understand that my parents the reason they've done all this for me is cuz they love me more than anyone else in the world and they go to the ends of the earth to see me succeed Um, and I think a coach, they'd go to a certain degree, but they'd stop before their, um, reputations on the line kind of thing, like before they could lose out. And my dad and I understand that we're a team and we work together. Like I'm the assistant coach, or actually he says, he says he's the assistant coach and I'm the main coach because I know what I feel in the water and I'm such a massive part of this role. Um, and I think that's what changes the dynamic is that we are so tightly knit in the way we train. I know everything about USRPT. My dad knows it. So in most programs, the athlete just does what they're told. Um, yeah. And I discuss with my dad what we're going to do, why we do it, um, what's the purpose behind it. Is there a certain? Is there something else we should be doing? And I think that's what makes a difference is knowing, okay, it's not like I'm just following aimlessly in the dark, which sometimes like, I mean, that goes back to like our spiritual walk. It's like, God, where are you taking me? Like, like I can't see this. And so that yeah. has to go into me trusting that he, he loves me and he knows what I'm, what I should be doing. Um, so it is, it's, um, I mean, there's definitely been times where it's up and down, but I love my dad. My dad loves me. Same with my mom. Like it works the same way as we, we know each other so well and um, we just want each other to succeed. Is it a common story for a swimmer to be coached by their parent? I was watching this outside the lines feature on ESPN and they, they kind of, they kind of alluded to the fact that your relationship with your father must be strained or they were trying to seem like put a a negative spin on it. I wonder if you get any backlash in that sense or your parents do. Yeah. So there was, um, there was an article actually long ago in ESPN magazine. Um, guy came and lived with us for a week. We thought we were great friends with him, but he obviously had an agenda behind the mm. story. Um, and he saw he saw the good, he saw the ugly, and we really we were super open with him because we trusted him. Mm. And um, he spanned this story just to be super like, it's just Michael's in his bubble. He's 
doing this for his parents. Like it's mm. against his will. It's just, it's grinding. It was, it was so bad when it came out. Um, but no, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like people, it's easy for people to assume things when they really have no idea who we are. And yeah. until they meet us, until they like spend proper time with us and see what we're about and our purpose behind why we do things and, and how we yeah. do things, they uh, very quickly realize like the, the stories aren't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, that's part of what's been so exciting in the in this last couple years is just seeing that change. It's like, everyone's starting to get to know us better. Um, and I think that's super important as an elite athlete. I love this, um, this parallel. Sean essentially was the rebel child in gymnastics uh, politics. And it sounds like you, in the same sense, evaded that political, I guess, ladder that you have to climb. And now, like, just because you've done things so differently you're now almost being welcomed back into the community and like have gained that much more respect because of that. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I think part of what makes it different too is that people, so in the beginning when I was little, they all went like, Oh, he's this phenom athlete. He's this big kid. He's just naturally talented. He'll swim fast anyway. And I probably would have, I mean, I would have swum fast. I would have broken records, but I don't know if I would have done it on the same magnitude. And I think what people would say is they're like, Oh, he's going to plateau. He's going to fall off the edge of the earth. He's going to stop. He's going to be like Chaz Morton and all these other swimmers that were great when they were 12 thought to be the next Michael Phelps, but then disappeared. Um, And I think what people are starting to realize is like, I'm not going anywhere and I'm just getting faster and I'm, I'm enjoying it more. I'm, I'm, you know, swimming's what I do. It's not who I am. It's uh, very exciting. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that that perspective comes in handy. I, I I came across an article where I apparently at one of the nationals that you performed at, it wasn't your best performance, and so this article was addressing like, hey, USRPT needs to go in the in the like the the back trunk, and people need to forget about it because was Michael's. this a was this an article on Yahoo Sports? I'm not sure where it was, but it was like it was rather negative about your training, um, and they were like, he needs to abandon it. Yeah, it was very interesting, but but having that perspective that swimming is not everything, I'm sure, like that just eases from with me and my relationship with football. As soon as I made it everything, that's when I started performing the worst, and like you just start your priorities are all out of whack, and and things just kind of snow. I mean, I can tell you a little story. Um, well, two little stories. So I signed my first contract when I was 14. Wow, professionally. Um, So you're not going to professional athlete when I was 14, the youngest in history. Or I think wow. in the swimming world. Yeah. And I, I obviously didn't know how to deal with that. Um, we thought like, this is going to be super easy. I'm just going to be a professional athlete and whatever. And it was a dream of mine. Um, people did not know what we were doing. Um, obviously I had to give up high school eligibility. I couldn't swim wow. for a college, things like that. And so obviously in the U S that is such a big way of things. Like mm-hmm. you do your high school swimming, you go to college and then if you're still good enough by the end of that, for your beating, then you can go pro. And I was like, I don't want to go through that. Like, why should I? And I think what's so good about obviously my parents being South African is they had such a different picture. Like they didn't see, like, we, we don't have to conform to that. You know, we, we deal with it and we, we kind of, we take it head on. And I think a lot of it goes back to not being defined by our sport. And that's what we learned at Lady Lodge. It's like, when I was 14, I went pro, I became a professional athlete. I immediately put all this baggage on myself thinking I have to perform. I have to break more national Mm. records. I can't just break three. I got to break four. I got to go faster, faster, faster. Age groupers can't beat me. I got to be beating the pros. And I would show up to the race so afraid to fail that I had no chance in even winning the race because I'd be so scared of what the outcome could be that I'd, mm-hmm. I'd throw up, I'd get sick. And it was until I learned that I'm not defined by my sport, but I'm defined by the relationships and my relationship with Christ yeah. that I can swim free. Um, yeah. Not to say I still go back and forth with that, but unbelievable. And I, the story I was going to tell you is, um, it was 2016, um, December. This was, I was getting ready for my very first world championships. Um, I was 17 years old. I had qualified for short course worlds and I was actually very lucky to get to go. Cause at the time, so Ryan Lochte had just finished his incident with um, 
Rio and the whole scandal. And so he was actually banned from the sport and I got to go in his place. Wow. So I got to, I got to swim the 200 IM and the 100 IM and wow. 50 bucks. And 200 IM the first day was trash. Added <laughs> five seconds, died. Like it was the most painful 200 IM I've ever swum in my life. And um, training was not going well into the competition. My mental frame of mind was just bad. Um, I had about two days to get ready for my next race, uh, which was the 100 IM. I mean, and some people like those of you who are listening and you know what swimming is like, you know, the 100 IM is not an Olympic sport, but it is at short course world championships. And um, I, there was nothing that made me physically prepared or mentally prepared. And there's, it's kind of a weird thing I went through. It's like, I stood back and I truly realized if I have another sucky 100 IM, it does not matter. Hmm. And so I, um, as I got closer and closer to this race, I had so much sense of freedom that I was able to race and truly sense God's presence in the water. Um, that was the prayer I prayed before my race. Is I was like, Lord, it doesn't matter what place I come. I, I'm in this heat. I've made the final. No one thinks I'm going to win. I've, I'm here just to race, feel your presence. Like all these people watching, these thousands of people, like this crowd is amazing. This energy is awesome. Lord, help me to sense your presence, feel your peace, power, presence, and purpose in this race. And I ended up becoming a world champion at 17. The world record holder was in lane six, two lanes wow. over. There was no reason I should have won that race other than the fact that I was free to race free. Um, like I, I had nothing, I had no baggage in that moment. And that was really one of the biggest learning curves for me is like, how do I now... Um, how do I come back to that place all the time? And it's not easy. Like, I mean, there's so many things that go on throughout racing and getting prepared for nationals and meets. It's like, you know, we do as athletes and you know, this, like we work hard to earn the salary, to beat the next guy, to win. Like we live in such a performance based world, but how do we live with a purpose based identity and not let it define us? Um, hmm that's that's i think if you can find that place as an athlete i mean that's when you will do the craziest things peace power presence and purpose were those the four four p's nice man i like that i haven't heard that um so <laughs> coined by michael andrews um walk me through so you have 80 national records is that right over 100 wow I've, okay I've, I've I've broken so I've broken over a hundred. Um, I think there's 24 that stand because there's, there's not a hundred events. Um, that's right. just including rebreaks, but 24 that stand from like short course to long course and different age groups. Wow, is there anyone that holds more than you? No. Um, wow. Was, so I actually I the person that held more than me I broke her record Tracy Calkins when I was 14. Um, I had what? broken her record by like 20 national records or something. Um, it was pretty cool. The The guy who um, curates the Swimming Hall of Fame came to us one day. and was like, hey, you know that Michael Andrew is way past Tracy Hawkins, who was this like ridiculous phenom, broke every national record. He's past her at 14. And so that was kind of cool for us. But wow. again, national records, like no one cares about <laughs> national records. <laughs> yeah. What what do you do on a day to day basis that you attribute to your success? Like walk walk me through a day in the life of Michael Andrews. Oh man, a day in my life. Um, so I guess when I was in school, it was wake up. I would train in the morning. Um, I'd come back. I'd do my schoolwork. I'd take a nap, and then I'd train again in the evening and take another, and then go to bed. Um, so a very simple layout. But um, as I gotten older, I realized like I need to do things. I need to have something that gives me excitement outside of the sport and it's not just super like one track focus um so right now my focus is on like youtube i do a lot of youtube things like that i um i'm trying to create stuff i'm trying to um grow my social media because i realized as an athlete companies nowadays aren't looking for just the fastest they're looking for a spokesperson they're looking for someone who can communicate properly who can yep. you know get across and be in the eyes um that's really it. it's like I go wakeboarding. I ride dirt bikes with my dad. I, I shoot bow. I shoot guns. I like, we do all these things because, you know, it goes back to like swimming is not the be all end all. Like 
it's, it's something that brings me joy, which is awesome. Like, that's why I do it. I love it. And there's other things that I enjoy to do. Like I listen to music. I've, I don't know if you can see, like there's a ukulele on the back of my thing here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I tried that. I tried the ukulele, <laughs> tried the acoustic guitar. I played the drums. It's like, oh, I do man. all these things. I fail at a lot of them, but that's part of life. It's like, that's where you grow. Um, you grow in the failure. And so I enjoy failing because failing <laughs> makes me better. Yeah. But no, we, I guess kind of averted from the whole typical day, but a typical day <laughs> is just training and doing yeah. whatever. <laughs> That's great. What, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish with your YouTube channel? Um, so right now it's, I mean, it's growing. It's growing a lot slower than I had wanted it to, but mm-hmm. I guess my goal is, I feel like, okay, so this is a little selfish. Like in the beginning, it was like, I want to be Casey Neistat. I want to have, I want to have people sending me all these cool gifts and skateboards and things in the mail and like be this big YouTube star or whatever. But as I get older and a little wiser, I start to realize like YouTube's an awesome platform for me to teach and to help others. So like I put ring bubble videos out. It's like the most ridiculous thing, blow ring bubbles out of your mouth. But people like that. Um, I share with people stroke technique or a travel like so people want to know what goes behind the scenes at the Mare Nostrum like I'll show them that like there's other athletes that aren't doing this and it's like why not like it's pretty cool like it's a really open field for me there's maybe two other swimmers that are vlogging Mm -hmm. and so it's it's kind of a, a niche that I can fit into and I also love the opportunity to create like I'm a massive tech whiz like I love tech I love cameras and all the expensive gear it's like why not create something cool with it? Um, so that's that's kind of me with YouTube. I love it. I've I've been so impressed with your Instagram. You do you do a, a phenomenal job of providing consistent value to your followers beyond just uh, you know cool pictures. Like the the you recently posted a, a you're you're always talking about the metrics of your training, which is so intriguing for for even for me who has no idea what like that pertains to with swimming. Um, but I just love how you're, you're really, really teaching your audience and, and it's so cool to sit back and watch. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, I am, I'm curious. I want to revisit a little bit because football now is adopting, you know, everybody now has a GPS tracker. They call it the Viper. Or there's a couple of different companies that will track your yardage that you ran, your speed, your acceleration, your recovery rate. Uh, they put it in the back of your, of your jersey right here. And so it distracts you. And now like weight coaches are, are using that to help understand what kind of loads players are going under through a practice and they can adjust in that sense. Um, compare the normal miles swam in a training session versus what you would swim. So like a typical program could be anywhere from like 5,000 to like 9,000 yards or meters yeah. in a practice. Like that's a pretty grueling training session. That'd be like two and a half hours um my longest practice is like 2500 meters if we're lucky if we're lucky and um the reason it's so short is because everything we do has to be specific it's got to be at time if i'm not making time you have to cut it off you have to rest to make it um and that is i think that's the hardest part for people to understand is because some days you show up not ready and not capable, so you have to walk away. Um, and that scares people because a lot of coaches then have to actually coach. They can't just write a program on the board and walk away and speak to the swim moms. Yeah. Like, they have to be really invested with the athlete. And um, right. I know it's the hardest thing, too, is for the athlete. The athlete has to be internally motivated. Like They have to know, okay, i got to push super hard in these 25s because by the last four, like that's what determines if I can finish my race. Wow. A lot of athletes go to it and they're like, okay, I'm just going to pretend to make some splash and I'll look like I'm working really hard and I'll fail the set so I can rest. Like yeah. I did that when I was little. It doesn't work because you show up to race and you're like, how come I can't finish this race properly? Wow. And it's, uh, that's, that's one thing that's been a massive learning curve for me as an athlete is like becoming professional, like knowing, okay, it's going to hurt now, but it's going to feel so good when I show up to race and I know I can finish that race. Um, and that's, I think the biggest part of our training that people don't understand is that you really have to be a hundred percent bought in. Otherwise it won't work. 
So how accurate is it? You mentioned that like you have to meet the times. How accurate is it? Is it? It's like it's, from it's off a stopwatch, so it's with a finger. Um, I, but carrying from practice to to meet, is it like you know you're gonna hit your times a hundred percent? Yeah. So when I was little, really? actually, it was the funniest thing. When, when I was little, my dad could from the previous the prior weeks going into a meet, he could predict what I was gonna go, and he would often be within tenths. Sometimes he actually got it exact, wow. which is wow. kind of like a weird, like maybe it's like a fluke, but but he was very accurate. And it's the same today. It's like, I know if I'm holding these times in training, I can be confident that I'm capable of going this. Now, it doesn't mean that every time I show up to race, I'm going to go that because yeah. there's so many factors that play right, into right. it. Obviously, like your mental state of mind. Yeah. Are you healthy? Did you get proper sleep? Um, you know, all sorts of things. But um, having the training down and knowing that you're confident in your preparation, that makes such a huge difference. Wow. All right, one more question from me before we move in uh, to questions from the fans. What is the biggest uh, – sorry, I'm going to ask two more. Um, what is the biggest adversity you've had to overcome? So I, I've never had any, like, injuries or anything like that. Um, I don't know if you see on my eye here, there's a little scar. Okay. I actually I hit myself in the face with a tennis racket when I was little. Wow. <laughs> so I had stitches there. Wow. I had stitches, stitches on my leg. <laughs> but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I stick to swimming. Um yeah. But I think the biggest adversity for me was probably just realizing I'm not defined by my sport. Um, I mean, I feel like it's very repetitive. Um, like I say that over and over, but I think it's something that once I learned it, like I have to continue to relearn it. And mm -hmm. it was very hard for me to basically let go of the performance. Um, and I think as a family, that was hard because my dad was so invested. My mom was so invested. And I think that's where a lot of our head bashing came as a family. It's like, we all wanted to succeed. We all wanted to do well. And we weren't really sure where things were going wrong. And so right. he's not only happy when a training is amazing. He, he can be happy when the day is going poorly, you know, and those things used to really control us. Mm. And I think learning to not let that control me was a massive thing to overcome. Um, mm. And I'm constantly learning, obviously. And I think that's one thing that helps us as a family, as a team, is that you can never stop learning. Um, and I think that's one thing that's important for the audience to take is like the most powerful people in the world, like the elite, the athletes, like there's always something they're willing to learn from. Like even if the guy they're learning from is a quote unquote nobody, which is false, there's no one that's nobody, but they can always learn something from that. Um, and I think that so was really important too, is understanding like we can always better ourselves. I love that. Um, would you consider, I, I saw that you missed qualifying for the 2016 Olympics by 0. 0.6 of a second. Do you view that as a, as a big like hit to your, to your pride or your career in any sense? Not really. Um, and this, I, so I think part of what made it so easy for me to brush it off was, I was 17 years old and no one really expected me to make it. Yeah. And so I, I mean, it was one of my best meets in my life. Like that race was the best time. So I was like, okay, cool. It's the best time. Wow. But afterwards, like, you know, I still cried. I was doing a post-race interview with like the local Kansas city news. And it was like, I was crying in that interview. And I think that's so funny. All I was saying was I'm so happy Kelsey made it. You know, Kelsey was a friend of mine who made the team. Yeah. I was like, you know, that was, that was cool because it shows it doesn't define me um, as much as I do care about it. And like, I do, I care about it. Like, that's why I work so hard. But at the end of the day, I have to realize and remind myself in that moment, doesn't get me to heaven, doesn't get me mm -hmm. happiness. Like, obviously you can get cool toys and you can have money and you can have fame and all this, but you see a lot of people with very shallow lives who don't enjoy it because they don't have proper relationships and they don't know why they're doing it. So yeah, I was able to walk away from that. And I have friends who have are still dealing with that letdown. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's sad to see. And um, you know, I feel like what I'm doing in swimming now is maybe an avenue for me to be able to help them in the future. That's cool. I love that. What, what's the, if you could attribute one thing to your success, what would it be? Whether it's your physical stature, your training program, your setup, and you have a pool in your backyard, like whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, if I'm to choose one thing, it's, I mean, I couldn't really choose one thing. Like there's so many things, but, um, 
the main thing is the fact that God is, or we try to keep God at the center of our lives. Um, Love that. And I mean, we aren't always the best at that, but there's so many things like my family. Obviously, I, I am designed to swim fast. Like I'm built weird. Six, like six? I have, is that right? I have, yep, six six. I have wow. like a 32 inch inseam, really short legs, <laughs> that's super ridiculous. long torso. Like that's I'm built yeah. to swim fast, um, and that's just like I'm not going to bulk up. My muscles will always be lean, but um, apart from all that. Um, I just know that God's got an exciting journey for my family and whether it's make the Olympics or never make the Olympics or never make another national team. Um, I, I believe that God's got something exciting in store for us. Love that. Um, okay. Now we got questions from the fans. A lot of people were excited to, to talk to you. So uh, the first question comes from Blake Brewer and he wants to know what your top three favorite things uh, you've gotten from Adidas uh, f- with your sponsorship. Oh, I man. Okay. Um, I guess the first would be the shoes. Everybody yeah. loves the shoes. I love the shoes. I have way too many pairs of shoes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should probably start letting go of some, but no, <laughs> shoes, shoes is one. Um, the other is... I mean, all the apparel is incredible. Um, I think one thing that was really cool. So when we went to headquarters, we went to headquarters and I got to speak in front of all of the employees at, in Germany. Yeah. I think that was incredible. Like the opportunity and to meet like all the presidents and like speak with them and like, Sweet. Really, like get involved in the company. Like they wanted to know what do I as an athlete want? What do I think should be better and change? Like they, like they really care about me as an athlete. Mm-hmm and my input. I think that was incredible getting to speak with Adidas athletics. Um, uh, the photo shoots are amazing. Um, and then the gear, like the suits, like the racing, like the technology, like I've gotten to help the team design the racing suit and to go what, like to see what goes into designing a tiny piece of fabric that goes around your waist and thighs. (laughs) It is unbelievable. And that's part of what makes me so excited to represent such a brand is like they want to be the best just yeah. as much as I do. And they put everything into it. They use science. Like we're so science driven. And um, to see that is pretty sick. Love that. Matt Schaefer wants to know um, if you could give one diet tip, just one, what would you tell people? One diet tip, stay away from sugar. Okay. It's unbelievable what sugar does to you. I know you have a sweet tooth too, Andrew. I, I love it. <laughs> I crazy sweet tooth. I, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. My parents hate me for it. It's like, I will eat any candy put in front of me. Um, if it's in the house, I'll eat it. But we have to understand, sugar destroys our nerve endings. It slows down recovery. It, it's just wow. so bad for you. Um, but yeah, so I think sugar is the biggest you seem so well informed on this. I love it. I feel like I could do a whole nother podcast about nutrition with you. Um, legit, legit fit seven wants to know, have you ever considered or are you considering, um, moving coaches or, or altering your training program? Um, there was a really rough patch where we entertained the thought, but yeah. it was very stupid. Like it was just one of those anger and enthused kind of, um, things but I, I never see myself going to train with anyone else. Um, yeah. When I look back at it, I realize my dad loves me. He knows what's best for me. And we work so well together. Um, and I, I also think that keeping it in the family takes a lot of the politics away. Yeah. So although there's other barriers and things to overcome, it's, it's ultimately easier. Um, and I, I enjoy this. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see myself training for someone else. That's yeah, great. Not at all. Okay, this question, this is a little embarrassing to say out loud, but this question is from I Love Andrew Dean, and they, they want to know, if you could be famous for any other sport besides swimming, what would it be? Soccer, 100%. Yeah, me too, man. This is, yes. it, the, the World Cup's going on right now. Oh, like, dude, I want to play. It. I love soccer. So I grew up playing soccer. Like I did every sport, but out of all of them, like if I didn't swim right now, I'd become a soccer player right yeah. away. I was a goalkeeper. I loved it. Like I could throw my body all over this net. Yeah, I soccer player, hundred percent. Tim Howard fan. <laughs> yeah, me too, big time. Um, and then the last question is from Mark Brantle. He wants to know what is the hardest USRPT practice. Ooh, hardest USRPT practice 
is a well hardest set um would be the 200 pace butterfly so tuner fly so what it is is it's basically 3050s no, butterfly at 200 pace so i hold no, under 13 seconds per length for 3050s with 20 what? seconds rest with 20 seconds rest in between each one oh my gosh i cannot comprehend it hurts so bad the last five are like unbearable like i'm just pulling through the water my shoulders are sinking my oh it's just it's unbelievable that is the most painful set and the problem is after that i have to do a 200 free set and a 200 im set like that is that's my typical morning practice which is actually what i'm doing tomorrow morning so (laughs) wow good luck i'm not envious um golly that's crazy uh, okay, so we'll we'll wrap up here. I always close asking a couple questions. I want to know what success looks like for you um, in your career. Um, so, I mean, obviously, the um, a very like obvious answer would be like achieving my goals. Um, I think that's which huge. are what? What's that? What are your goals in swimming? Yeah, so I guess um, <laughs> my short term goals for this season is making the pan pack in world championship team and getting gold at each of those events, um, which is vague obviously, but in the events that I swim, like be like the 53 hundred breasts, hundred fly. Um, and then my long-term goal, which is actually pretty close now is making the Tokyo 2020 games and representing the USA and getting gold. <laughs> um, but aside from that, I feel like that isn't so I don't think that for me will feel like um, like I've reached it, like my success. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's more to it, like I've said in the past or before, is like I I want to be known for for caring for everyone, for being a, an influence for the right things and knowing that sport doesn't define us. And I think um, a huge success for me would just be um, – I guess being a disciple of the truth as yeah. weird as that may sound. Um, so I feel like that's kind of what is, and what's nice is it doesn't take winning or doing anything to, to do that. It's just me standing in my calling. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously winning is nice. Like I want to win, but that's a uh, success for me is just standing in my calling. Actually, that's it. Exactly that success for me is standing in my calling. Okay. That's a great answer. What is the, uh, what is the one piece of equipment um, that you've purchased that has helped you achieve your goals on a day-to-day basis? Probably the pool. I guess the pool. That makes sense. Like we, ha- we have a pool in our backyard. Um, and when we started out in Aberdeen, we had the nightclub and we put a pool in it. I think that um, <clears throat> without those two pools in my life, it would have been very tough because in the beginning we were boycotted out of the YMCAs. The local clubs didn't want us using them. There was so much politics wow. around it. So we had to have our own pool. Um, and if it wasn't for those pools, we probably wouldn't have continued to push on like we did. And so, yeah, the pools. <laughs> what are um, three, three pieces of advice you'd give the audience listening? Ooh, okay. Um, so the audience can guess this one. The first one is don't define yourself by your sport um, or anything for that matter, but um, define yourself by whom you are loved and who you love which would be wow. friends and God and your parents, your sisters, siblings. Um, the second would be a pretty um, common one and very vague, but enjoy what you do. Like have fun. My mom mm-hmm. hates the, the F word fun, but uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, if you aren't really enjoying what you're doing, there's no point in doing it. Um, Obviously, training is a schlep. Like, it's not always fun, but the results and the things outside of it, like traveling, being a a swimmer, like doing what I do is ultimately fun. Like, I still enjoy every bit of it. Um, And you learn to enjoy the hard things. But I think having fun is really important. Um, Number three, find purpose beyond winning. Um, I think that kind of ties in with not being defined by your sport, but it's really important to know why you do something. Like if you don't have a solid why it's really, it gets confusing to know the what and the how. 
um, when you figure out why you're doing something, those things come naturally. Mm. And I've, I've experienced that firsthand. I love that. Those are fantastic. What do you have going on now that, that you'd like to promote? I understand you have a USRPT online program. Is that right? You have your YouTube channel. So we have an online course that, that we, um, we have currently, we've put out the first segment. So it's going to be four segments. Um, and we speak about obviously the technique. And so we go through our technique macro cycles and how we, how we work over the strokes and analyze the strokes. And then we're going to go into the conditioning. So how we physically train USRPT like detail by detail, as simple as it is. Yeah. Um, and then we go into nutrition. And then the last one I think is the psychology. So like the mental frame and how do you step up and get race ready? So mm-hmm. the first, the last three aren't out yet, yet, but we have our stroke and technique one out. Um, but we're actually in, uh, we're currently overhauling it. So we're redoing all the videos. We've got new footage that we're adding to it and um, new technology that we're going to be using. But um, other than that, it's my YouTube channel. Um, I think yeah. YouTube is a really cool platform for me. And I think it's an exciting place for me to obviously get to know the audience and get to know you guys who are listening and um, share with you what goes on in the, the life of an elite swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, as exciting as that may sound, but it's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's mm-hmm. what, what I love to do. Sounds yeah. great. Well, be sure to check him out. I've linked all this in the show notes. Um, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's great to thank finally you so meet much. you in uh, quasi-person. Likewise. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Hey, guys, it's Andrew, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Redirected. If you find this podcast valuable, there are a lot of ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you happen to listen from. You can share it with your friends on social media, blogs, or on your own podcast. Also, head over to andrewdes.com for more information and to request your favorite celebrity, entrepreneur, athlete, or anyone else who inspires you. And while you're at my site, be sure to sign up for my newsletter so you can get updates on other fun stuff going on. Also, you guys know I love connecting with you, so if you want to reach out to me directly on Instagram or Twitter, my handle is at andrewdeast. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next time on Redirected. Redirected.